Numbers chapter 22 this morning. Numbers 22. We continue our journey through the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 22. Let's let's pray and then we're going to work our way through these 41 verses. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. And we pray that You would help us this morning to um, understand and to be encouraged um, and in the ways we need to be convicted, that we will be convicted, and, and the ways we need to be comforted, we will be comforted. And um, we thank You for the work that Your Spirit does in the hearts of Your people through Your Word. pray that You would do that again this morning. In Christ's name, Amen. Our story this morning, Numbers chapter 22, this is probably one that you're, um, that you're somewhat familiar with. There's a, there's a few stories in the book of Numbers um, that, that, that most people, if they've, if they've done a lot of church, if they've been to church a lot in their life, they're, they're at least vaguely familiar with at least a few stories from Numbers. Sometimes we don't realize that they were in the book of Numbers. We, we kind of remember the story, but we didn't remember that it was in Numbers. Um, but this is one of those stories that you've probably heard a little bit about already. Um, Numbers chapter 22 has this, has the story of, of Balaam and his donkey. And our story is broken up into two parts. Um, part one, we're gonna call Balaam seems like a superstar sorcerer. That's part one. Balaam seems like a superstar sorcerer. Part two, spoiler alert, actually he's dumber than his donkey. So, um, so that's our story this morning. That's the, that's the two parts um, to the story. It's the two parts to the sermon. It could be short. We'll see. Part one, Balaam seems like a superstar sorcerer. Let's work through the first 21 verses of our chapter. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. Okay, so the people of Israel, they're getting very close to the promised land. It's been years, decades since God brought them out of Egypt. And because of their own sin, it's been a long journey, way longer than it had to be. They've been wandering in the wilderness, but they're close. They can see the promised land across the river. They're so close. Verse 2, and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Alright, so last week in that chapter we saw how the, the, the people of Israel had won quite a few military victories against their enemies, right? And they had wiped them out. Um, and Balak sees that this is happening. And Balak is the king of the Moabites. He's the king of Moab. And he is he's concerned. Verse 3, and Moab and Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. Verse 4, And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. The, the king, Balak, is afraid. There's a ton of Israelites and they had been wiping out their enemies. This is scary. So Balak, uh, the, the end of verse 4, so Balak the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, 
sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river. When, when it says the river like that, it almost always means the Euphrates. The, the river in the land of the people of Ammah to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. And they are dwelling opposite me. That, that cover, the face of the earth, is kind of like the, the, the terminology they would use for locusts or something. They just, they've come, this great swarm of people, and they, and they cover the earth, like locusts cover the earth. And then he says, verse 6, Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he, he whom you curse is cursed. So here's what Balak is going to do about this problem. He needs a secret weapon. He knows that, that if, if Moab just lines up against Israel and fights them, even though Israel is not interested in fighting Moab, Israel actually plans to, to walk around Moab. Israel, Israel actually doesn't have any plans to attack Moab, but Balak thinks that they do. A lot of our fear is kind of based on the fact that we, we, we're ignorant. Balak is afraid that Israel is going to come in and attack them. So Balak, and Balak knows that if Moab and Israel just lined up against each other and fought each other, that Israel would crush them. So, so he needs a secret weapon. My son, uh, Pete, is been, he's been reading a book about the Civil War and, and it, the, there's a whole these weapons in the Civil War. And, uh, and, and one of the newest weapons that came out during the Civil War was the Gatling gun. And it was like a, it was a very primitive first, um, rapid fire weapon. And it gave its owners a huge advantage. If you could wield the Gatling gun, you had a huge advantage over the enemy. This is what Balak wanted. He wanted something that would give him the edge. He wanted a secret weapon. He wanted a weapon of mass destruction. So he says, I'm going to get Balaam. That's his plan. Balaam. Balaam lives 400 miles away. Balaam must have been incredibly famous. Balaam must have somehow earned the reputation of being able to bless and to curse. I don't know how he earned this reputation. We don't know anything about Balaam's backstory. We don't know how Balaam got this famous but, but Balaam must have been famous because Balak is willing to, to send a caravan 400 miles, which is like, I mean, if, if, you, if it's just one guy just going back then, it would have taken about 20 days. If it's a caravan, this is, this is going to take more than a month or two. This is a long journey. He's going to spend a ton of money to go get Balaam because he thinks that Balaam is going to be able to come and pronounce a curse on Israel and then Moab will be able to win the battle. That's... Balak's plan. That's the beginning and the end of Balak's plan. To get this sorcerer, Balaam, who had this incredible power, supposedly, to come and and do this. Now, we are tempted here to mock Balak. To say, how could you be so stupid? How could you be so stupid? How could you possibly think that this guy is going to come and pronounce a curse on your enemy, and then you're going to win the... How could you be so stupid? But then, but then we, we, before, we, before we jump all over Balak, though, we have to remember how often we're tempted 
To trust in the, in the power that our world here in 2020 has to offer. We, tw- we, tr- we, bleh, bleh, bleh. we trust in the wisdom of the, of the folks everyone thinks are brilliant. We trust in the safety and the success that, that money or politicians can, can bring us. We trust in the security and the comfort that we think uh, only a, a certain amount of money in our bank can, can bring us a, a certain job, a certain this, a certain that. We trust in the, in the things of this world that come and go so easily. So before we start just kind of making fun of Balak, um, let's, let's look in the mirror real quickly and, and see if maybe we do some of the same stuff. Sure, it's not as, you know, weirdly superstitious. It's not as ancient. It's not as, uh, you know, otherworldly as this story is. Uh, but how often do we go all in on things that this world says we need if we're going to be successful? We need if we're going to be secure. Let's move on. So Balak sends for Balaam, verse 7, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination. They've got, they got, they got fee for divination. He's not, he's not going to come cheap. Fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And it's not that God doesn't know. This is God trying to get Balaam's attention. It's kind of like he said to Adam, Adam, where are you? It's not that God couldn't locate Adam in the Garden of Eden. It's that he wanted Adam to think, I am hiding from God because of my sin. Who are these men with you, Balaam? God expects Balaam to consider carefully who it is, who it is that he's going to go with, who it is that he's going to work for. Just what it is that he's considering here. So, so Balaam is an interesting character. And, and, and I, I wish we had more of his backstory, but we don't. Now, we know, we know that Balaam was a wicked, false prophet. He doesn't appear that way always in our story, but we know, and, and, but wicked, false prophets hardly ever appear that way, especially at the beginning. But we know that he is a wicked false prophet because Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, when Peter is, is talking about false prophets, he says they forsake the right way, they have gone astray, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So, so that's who Balaam is. That's how Jude describes him. That's how Nehemiah describes him. And then we're going to see in a few chapters, actually there's this, this really gruesome chapter, uh, chapter 25. Um, it's just disturbing. And I can't wait because Colin has to preach it. And so it's going to be like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. It's actually, there's, it's, um, yeah. So I just, good luck. Anyhow, um, I, I, I'm looking forward to that. But, but, uh, but we see in a few chapters, Balaam is a bad dude. And he plays his cards. And we see it. And he actually gets killed for it. 
So, so here in this chapter, we have to understand that's who Balaam is. The way Peter has described him, the way Jude describes him, the way the Nehemiah describes him, and then the way we see the rest of his life play out. He is a false prophet who is only in it for the money. But we also see here that he calls God the Lord, which is the, it's the, it's the Israelites' term for their covenant relationship with God. It's, the, it's the, the language that only believers use. And then we also see here where God speaks to Balaam. Balaam's not surprised by that. Of course, he's not surprised in a few, few verses where a donkey speaks to him either. Maybe he just doesn't ever register surprise. But, but I, he, God, God speaks to Balaam. And Balaam speaks to God. And so they have some sort of relationship. It's not one where, where Balaam is a true prophet of God. Um... But there is a little bit of a mystery here. We know Balaam came from Mesopotamia. We know that there are pockets of people there who knew who God was. People who were, who were related to Abraham. People who, who just remembered God. And, and usually the, the theology and the ways of worship in Mesopotamia, even if they um, talked about God, uh, the, the, the theology was, was really messed up. The worship was really messed up. So they knew a little of who He was. Uh, but they had a very convoluted way of relating to him. And so I think that's what Balaam is. He knows something of God. He knows the language. And we're going to see in the next um, couple chapters, he kind of knows some of the stuff he's supposed to do, but he doesn't actually love God. He loves money. And we see that now as we, um, as we go through these next few verses. Verse 9 and, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. God says, No. Do not go with them. Do not curse the people. I have decided they are blessed. They will not be cursed by you. Verse 13, So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab, so he, I mean, Balaam leaves out a bunch of stuff when he says that. Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. That's, a lot more coy, and that's, a, that's leaving a lot, a lot of information out, which is what Balaam does, we'll see. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, verse 15, Balak sent princes. So this is another, like, two-month journey. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number, number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For Listen to this. Verse 17, For I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. Now, what we have here is we have a negotiation. Balak thinks that when Balaam says, no, I can't go, he thinks he's just driving up the price. All right, so this is the way people negotiated in the old, like, like in the ancient Near East. This was an honor and shame kind of, uh, of society. And so you wouldn't just say, 
Balaam, if you come and you curse this people, I will give you $100,000. They wouldn't do that back then. That's way too crass. That's way too crude. Instead, they dialogue like this. So, so Balak says, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. And again, that's, that's language that means money. When they, when they talk about honor in this way, they, when you honor someone, you pay them a lot of money. That's what we have here. So Balak is saying, I'll, I'll pay you more. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, listen to this, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So here's what Balak is, or what Balaam is doing. Balaam is giving them his price. Balaam is listing his price here. Again, you wouldn't say, I'll, I'll come if you, if you pay me $200,000. You would frame it like this. You would say, you know what? Even if you paid me a house full of gold and silver, I still couldn't come. This is exactly, do you remember the story where Abraham, um, in back in Genesis 23, where Abraham is trying to buy a, a piece of land to, to bury his wife? And, and so he's, he's, he's haggling with this guy named Ephron. And Ephron is saying, no, 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 no. You can have the land for free, which means you're going to pay me. Alright? This is what it meant in an honor and shame society. You wouldn't say, hey, um, Spencer, you got a car, I'll pay, I'll pay you $1,000 for it. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't say that. That would be crude back then. They, would, they, they wouldn't talk money in that direct kind of way. So they talk roundabout. Listen to what Ephron says to Abraham. This is, of course, hundreds of years earlier. Um, so he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I, I, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. Listen, this is what he says. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Like, no, 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 no. It's a piece of land worth 400 shekels, but I won't accept a cent. That's his way of saying, I want 400 shekels of silver. This is what Balaam is now doing here. Balaam's trying to, he's trying to, to have the best of both worlds. Balaam has bought into this idea that he really is a superstar sorcerer. That he can somehow get this done. He's going to somehow get there. He's going to get the money from them. And he's going to say what God doesn't want him to say. Somehow he's going to get away with it. He's just, he's sure he's going to get away with it. And so he's trying to play both sides here. Will he get away with it? No, he will not. All right, we, we will see that in a second. So verse 19, he says to them, So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Does he really think God's going to change his mind? Okay, yeah, I guess so. Since they're paying you that much money, go ahead, go curse them, that's fine. What is What does Balaam think is going to happen here? Well, we're probably going to be surprised when we read verse 20. God lets him go. The first big surprise of a very surprising chapter, God lets him go. Verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, and again, God knows that they have, if the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So does God change his mind here? No. Nope. He is simply saying, okay, Balaam, if this is what you really want, 
If these men and their money is, if you really think you're going to somehow get this, if you really want this, if this is so important to you that you, you try to go get this money, but he's saying to him, he's saying to him, Balaam, you, you cannot, you will not, you must not, you must not say anything besides what I tell you to say. This is, this is very much like a few chapters earlier where the people really wanted quail. They were mad at God. They were grumbling against God. They were rebelling against God because they really wanted different meat. They hated the manna that God was giving them in the wilderness. They hated it. They wanted quail. And God said, fine, eat some quail. Here's some quail. Go ahead. And as it was in their mouth, they died of a plague. This is God saying, be careful what you wish for. Balaam, you really want this? This is what you really want? Go for it. Let's see how it works out for you. Now, verse 21, again, Balaam shows his hand here. So, Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. So, what does that indicate? That indicates that God's fine with it. When, when Balaam gets on his donkey and goes, that's like, oh yeah, I guess God's changed his mind. That's what he's communicating to these people. He thinks he's going to get there and somehow he's going to be able to get the money and say what God doesn't want him to say and get away with it. Balaam has, has, has read his own press clippings. He thinks he's the man. He thinks he's going to be able to do this. Well, let's, let's see. Let's see. Verse 22, we come to our Second part, first part of our story, Balaam seems like a superstar sorcerer. Part two, actually he's dumber than his donkey. Is he going to get away with it? Is he going to get away with it? Verse 22, no. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And so God said, sure, you can go. And then he gets mad at him for going. Because, because Balaam leaves out the part about, I can only say what God wants me to say. If he would have said that up front, do you think these guys would have brought Balaam with them? Do you think he would, they would have shelled out that much money just for Balaam to come and not do what they wanted him to do? No. Balaam thinks he can trick God. He thinks he can trick these people. Let's see. Verse 22, But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord, who I think is the pre-incarnate Christ, but that's, that's not really um, incredibly important, but I, when, the, when it says the angel of the Lord um, shows up in the Old Testament, I almost always believe that that is, that that is the, the Son of God. That's the Lord Himself. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. So he has now, he has God as an adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. So no. So no, Balaam's not going to get away with this. Not going to get away with it. We're going to see here just how much of a fraud Balaam actually is. For, For starters... Verse 23, his donkey sees the angel of the Lord, and he doesn't. Verse 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey looks up, and Balaam wants him to keep going, and the donkey's like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, (laughs) you're going to die if I keep going. And the donkey turned aside uh, out of the road and went into the field. Of course he did. He didn't want to die. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. 
Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards. So we have another, we have, so, the, so the angel of the Lord is going to block the path again with a wall on either side. So it's a little bit more narrow. The donkey can get by, but he's definitely going to, you know, scrape up Balaam's foot and Balaam's leg if he gets by the angel of the Lord. That's what the donkey does. When the donkey saw, verse 25, the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. She wants to get by the angel of the Lord. So he struck her again. He's saving her life, and, 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 or she's saving his life, and he is beating her because he is an idiot. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. So now the angel of the Lord is like, you can't get my bee donkey. It's, 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 you, there's no space. There's no space. <laughs> so verse 27, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she just lay down. <laughs> she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So he can't see the angel of the Lord, and he can't even get his donkey to do what he wants her to do. How, how do we really think that, that somehow he's going to pronounce a curse on a, on a whole army and, and, and cause them to be feeble and, and cause them to lose a battle? How do we really think Balaam's going to be able to do this? He can't get his donkey to go where he wants her to go. How much power does he actually have? And then the story gets really interesting. Verse 28, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Inquiring donkeys want to know, What's wrong with you? Verse 29, And Balaam, who never registers surprise, no matter who's talking to him, said to the donkey, okay, and this was a this was a rabbit trail week for me. So if you have questions about any of this stuff, I probably had the same questions this week, and I probably researched it longer than I needed to. So if you have questions, email me this week, and I can talk to you about whatever weird little thing in the story that you, that's, you know, that I don't have time to talk about right now. Um, Balaam, uh, Balaam said to the donkey, verse 29, because you have made a fool of me. You made a donkey out of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. I'm an all-powerful sorcerer who can't kill a donkey without a sword. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? I'm which you have ridden all your life to this day? Like, we have a history, buddy! Is it my habit to treat you this way? And I, I, he said, no. I, I guess not. You've basically been a good donkey. There might be something else going on here. And it's also interesting, because back then, what I do know about sorcerers back then, is they were really big into visions and omens. Like, I don't know why he didn't, he didn't see this as an omen from God, that things were not going well, when the donkey just refused to go. Why did he, if he's such a great, you know, tea leaf reader, why didn't he see that this was an omen from God? Like, something's going on here. He doesn't, he doesn't get it. Until, right? Until, verse 31, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn, with his drawn sword in his hand. And he, and, and this is the thing. This is the thing. I don't know what Balaam had accomplished sorcerer-wise in the days before this, well, people don't do stuff unless God lets them do stuff. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. Whatever. 
And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I love, this is, I love this. Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. You are doing something that is sinful and you know it. You, you think you're gonna, you think you're gonna take the money and run. You think you're gonna disobey me and get away with it. I have opposed you. I've stood in your way. And then he says, verse 33. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. I love that. God says, I have ranked the people on this road and it's donkey and then you. And, and there's a little bit of a... This is not in my notes, so I'm going to try to not talk about this for very long because I'll probably talk about it next week. Um, there's a little bit of a, uh, a precursor here because Balaam is going to get his, try to get his donkey to do something three times. The, the donkey is going to directly disobey Balaam three times because the donkey can only do what God wants it to do. And then, and then in, uh, in our next chapters, Balak is going to try to get Balaam, the real donkey, to do what he wants him to do. And no matter how much Balak tries to get Balaam to do it, Balaam can only do in our next chapters what God wants him to do. And it actually happens three times. I think God is giving Balaam a little parable here. Verse 34, Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. Balaam gets it now. He's like, no, this ain't going to work. There's no way this is going to work. I, I, I can't get by the angel of the Lord. I didn't know he was there. I shouldn't have beat the donkey. The donkey saved my life. I didn't, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't know. This is not like genuine repentance. This is, oh my word, I just died. I should have just died. I, I was this close to dying. And if I go forward, I'm going to die. That's what this is. I'll go back. If you don't want me to go, I'll go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. In verse 36, he when Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab on the border formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you to, to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Am I not able to pay you big bucks? Verse 38, Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have come to you. And then he says, have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that must I speak. So he's saying point blank to Balak what he should have said, point blank to, to, their, to the servants. He said it once, but they thought it was a negotiating ploy, and then he just didn't say it the second time, he just went with them. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth, and Balak sacrificed um, oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam and for the princes who were with him. 
And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there he saw a fraction of the people. So Balak thinks, even though Balaam has said, I can only say what God wants me to say, somehow, somehow Balak still thinks that, that Balaam and God have sort of some sort of negotiating relationship. That, that there's some way that, that Balaam can do something to get God to change his mind. See, verse 6, back in verse 6, Balak fought. This is what Balak thinks of Balaam. He says, come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. Listen to this. Listen to what, listen to what Balak says to Balaam. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. What Balaam is learning and what Balak is going to learn in the next two chapters as we look at these oracles that, 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 that God gives to Balaam and that's what he's got to say. That's all he can say. What Balaam is learning is that if God has decided that he was going to bless Israel, then he's going to bless Israel. Someone like Balaam cannot just come around and unbless what God has decided to bless and curse what God has decided to bless. You, you will not. God says, no, I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. You're, someone's not going to come around and reverse what I'm doing. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how famous Balaam was. It doesn't matter how much money uh, Balak paid him. Nobody is going to stop God from blessing His people. That brings us to the point of this story for us. The point is this. If God has decided in His grace to bless you, then no one can stop Him. If God has as Ephesians says, set His love on you before He created the world. If God has delivered up His own Son to die for the sins that you have committed, if God has given you His Spirit and begun the good work of sanctification in your life, if God has sealed you until the day of redemption, if you, by His amazing grace, have believed the Gospel, then you are going to be blessed. You're going to be, you're absolutely going to be blessed forever with Him in heaven. It's just, it's, it's going to happen. No one, nothing, there's, there's, there's nothing that anyone or anything can do to stop it. God will give you peace that passes all understanding. God will use every wonderful and miserable thing in your life to make you more like Jesus for your joy and for His glory. God will hold you fast. He will carry you through the river of death. He will raise your dead body and give you a glorious new one. And you will be with Him forever. If God has, in His amazing grace, decided to bless you, and He has shown His determination to bless you by sending His own Son to die for you and then raising Him from the dead, if you believe that Gospel, then God has decided to bless you and there's not anything that anyone or anything can do about it. Let's reject... Balak's stupid obsession, infatuation with the power and the success of this world. And let's reject the greed of Balaam. So many times we, we say, like Balaam, we say the right words. I'd rather have Jesus than, than, than silver or gold. But then the way we live says, actually, I'd rather have the gold. Thank you very much. 
Let's reject the greed of Balaam. Let's, let's reject the superstition of Balak. Let's believe the good news of the Gospel. God has decided to bless you in Jesus Christ and there's nothing that anyone or anything can do about it. Believe that good news. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would help us to believe it. Help us to live as if the promises that You give to us in Your Word are true. Because they are true. Help us, God. Help us to reject the the, the silliness of this world that we need this or that in order to be safe and secure and content. That we need health or money or success or fame. or That we need this kind of power in order to be happy or content or, 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 or secure in this world. Help us to understand that, that you have set your love upon us. If we, by your grace, have believed the Gospel, then we belong to you. And you are going to watch over us and you are going to bring us home to you forever. And there's not anything that anyone can do about it. Help us to live with confidence and joy in the gospel. We thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.